Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Believe in New York Football Podcast here. On the Belief Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals and the only place for every New York football team and their fans. Do you believe? I'm your host, Steven Tino Rodriguez, and welcome back to another episode of the New York Football Podcast. You can check us out on Apple Podcast, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and of course, the Believe website, BLEAV.com. Like, download, rate, and subscribe on all platforms. Be sure to also follow us on Twitter at NYFootballPod as well as myself at Tino Rodriguez double underscore. We have a awesome show for you guys today. My good friends Bill Campy and Pat DiMartino stopped by for about the third or fourth time now. Always a great discussion with these guys. We hit every talking point possible from Joe Judge in training camp, having players run after practice for mistakes. We have Joe Judge electing to not go names on the back of the jersey and what that means from a coaching perspective at a high school level to the NFL. We also hit on everything NCAA related on Justin Fields' petition, the Big Ten, the SEC, whether the season should be moved to the spring, the protocols needed. We touch on everything there, plus some hockey talk. Bill breaks down everything about the Rangers' number one overall pick and what it means for them. And we also add a little baseball talk at the end. So stay tuned for all of that. But without a further ado, let's get right to it. Here they are, Bill Campy and Pat DiMartino. All right, now we have on two reoccurring guests, but I just want to call us the trio at this point. The trio's back together. The team's together. It's like we're having our own training camp here. It is August. Football's back. We're getting into the groove of things. So we have Pat and Bill together. We have Pat from EH. We have Campy WH. Follow them on Twitter. Guys, what's going on? Pleasure to be back, Rod. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Everything's kind of all happening at once again. I'm like a little overwhelmed with sports after it was so flat and empty for, you know, three to four months. I almost liked it when it was just one or two things going on. You could kind of really focus in and, and hone in. And now all of a sudden it seems like a lot's being reintroduced, but it is fun. I'm glad you said that because I feel the same way. And I knew it was coming with the scheduling. Like in July, I was like, all right, like I'm kind of getting used to no sports. We're about to have overload. And it's like competitive too. It's all playoffs. And there was a, a lottery midway through this. And it's like, there's just way too much going on. There's way too much going on. You're betting on golf. I'm watching hockey that goes to five overtimes. And mm-hmm. no one knows what the hell's going on anymore. So great time to be alive. Yeah. I'm glad you guys can talk about this with me and try to 
unravel it. And um, we're going to start, and we have a lot to get to here, but we're going to start with football because that is really back. And we're going to start Giants. And I just, because you guys were together on a football field and now me and you can't be are together on a field and we're coaches, there's hot takes going around about Giants coaches. And I'm just curious how you guys feel about it. Now, I talked to Campy about this before we came on, but Joe Judge, newly hired head coach for the Giants, is having the players run laps after practice for mistakes. To me, sure, this is kind of like a high school thing to do sometimes, you know, just really adding discipline and whatnot, and maybe the pros are kind of over it, and you don't necessarily need to do that. But I still think the message rings true by doing it. I don't really see that big of an issue, and I think – that sometimes people need to suck it up and just understand five gashers at the end of the practice isn't going to fucking kill you. And if anything, it's going to instill the fact that you shouldn't make mistakes. What do you guys think? Do you think there's room for this in the NFL or do you think he's just wasting his time and this shit will be gone in like a week or two? Yeah. I I don't think you could really make a generalized statement on whether or not it's an efficient or effective, you know, tactic or not. I think it really depends on the culture. And I've been down this road multiple times, you know, New England's culture was so strong. Like you could do anything you want up there because it's never going to be fractured. To me, this is kind of a high school Harry thing. No, no, no offense to my high school coaches out there, but I mean, these are professionals. You don't need to treat them like children. I don't think they, I think that's just kind of getting off on the wrong foot slightly. Like you should, I mean, you should be, certain things should be expected of you as a pro and I don't think you need to be necessarily reprimanded with running laps. I mean, is that going to make the team better? I just think it's kind of an unnecessary little, you know, uh, jab at his team. And I don't know about if the leadership core is strong enough with the giants yet that you could really, you know, go into like that kind of an attack mode at this stage of camp. I know he's trying to set the tone. He's trying to be a tough guy, but that just seems kind of fake to me. And uh, I'm not a huge fan of going that direction at this stage of the game for Big Blue. Well, as a as a high school coach, I do resemble that remark uh, there, Belly. So uh, it's it's a, uh, just one of those things that comes with uh, dealing with younger athletes, and you know it as well as I do. Uh, the idea of the punishment for gassers, I think that if it's used in a way that is an outlier, not exactly a consistent type of thing. It can have more of an impact, but if it's you know, for, for professionals, uh, because these guys are getting paid millions of dollars, uh, they want to be treated as such. And, uh, you know, whether it's right or wrong is kind of neither, you know, not really the point. Um, when you have a new guy coming in and instilling this philosophy that hasn't been the case prior to him, uh, you're going to rub you know, some people the wrong way, uh, especially maybe veterans that have been there for a couple of years now, and now they're dealing with this. And, you know, these are full grown men that, you know, are being dealt with in a way that like, uh, belly said with just like high schoolers. So, uh, I could see it wearing down some people and perhaps if, if New York is really bought into judge, that is a you know an evaluation of the roster and they get rid of guys that don't see eye to eye with that mentality if that's the direction that the Giants want to go. If that is the case, then I could see it, you know, working. Uh but if ownership and management 
isn't on the same page with judge and what he wants, then it's going to implode fairly quickly. I think. I think they are on the same page with him, which is encouraging. And I think they kind of are going to give him free reigns on this. I think the one thing to ride home for the giants about is that this is a very young team. It's probably the youngest team in the NFL. So I think with him being a first year head coach and him doing this stuff, you know, a lot of these guys are first second year guys. They're coming from college systems more recently than probably a majority of the NFL. So they might not be too far out of the loop where they wouldn't really necessarily buy into this. Sure, some of the older guys, yeah, but I think to Belly's point, it would test their willpower a little bit or at least the leadership on this team to see if they're really committed to it. And like you said, if they're just trying to do this to get away, you know, get rid of some bad apples, then as long as you're buying into it, so be it. You know, it's it's just interesting because I feel like if this was Belichick, you really wouldn't hear too much about it, nor would people care too much. And it would be a system by that point. And it'd be the culture. I think the hardest thing in the NFL now is really instilling a culture and everyone goes about it different. So if this is fake, then yeah, it's not great. But if this is who he is and this is going to you know, be how it is and the standard moving forward, then let, let's go with it and just see where, you know, see where it takes you. I don't see really any harm in it just because with this team being so young and Saquon about to be one of the older guys on the team at this point, instill that into them. And if the leaders buy into it and the organization buys into you, maybe you really do develop a culture and a team atmosphere for an organization that hasn't had shit over the last, what, eight years at this point. It's, uh, it is interesting. I mean, to think about, cause you know, the, one of the major talking points of just professional football players is that they don't have a long career, right? Like the average three years, something like that. You know, I would probably argue that coaches have head coaches have an even less you know, in their average. So you have a very limited amount of time to instill that culture and to hit the ground running because that's just the way it goes. A lot of, uh, you know, owners and management don't give them much time to turn everything around because it's a, it's money. It's all about the money. It's all about getting the support. And it's, uh, it's something that, you know, I I think that some coaches and a number of coaches that were pretty good at their jobs were fired before they really hit their stride or before they got to where they wanted to with their, with their team. And that's a matter of teams not being patient because that's just, you know, the the society we live in. Uh, I mean, of course the jets are far too patient with case, but that's an entirely different story. But uh, I think that judge, as long as he has the support of the giants, I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal. I think, you know, guys are going to be pissed. You're sore during camp. You're, you know, you're busy, you're learning, you're, you know, a lot of grumpy guys, everything like that. But it, it is part of the sport. It's just something that's unexpected when you're dealing with, you know, guys in their late twenties and their thirties and they're feeling kind of miffed about, you know, having to run gassers. So I think really what we're talking about is whether or not we think in the modern NFL, you can succeed by being anything but, more of a player's coach slash psychologist. Like that's really the overarching question here. Right. And I, I just think it's getting harder and harder in today's culture and, you know, times have, have changed. And I feel like the younger players are more entitled than they used to be. And you could be a losing coach and keep harping on the fact that, you know, you don't like that, but it's reality. You have to, you know, you have to evolve, you know, schools like, 
schools like in college, you know, your Alabamas of the world, they're just going to be great no matter what because they just keep bringing in the best players and they can just show you the door if you don't want to do it their way. I mean, in the NFL, you can't do that. It's so difficult. You have to get the most out of each and every one of your players. So you have to know which buttons to press. You have to be a psychologist. I just think these hard-ass type coaches, which I don't necessarily think is a bad thing if that's truly your personality, but your Adam Gases, your Jim Harbaugh's, these guys show flashes, but eventually it wears your team down and you don't really build any sort of a sustainable culture. So I don't think the running gassers thing is like really a huge deal, but if it's an indication that he's going to be create this divide between coach and players and like, it's going to be my way or the highway. I don't know if that necessarily is the most efficient way to go in, in today's NFL. Right. I mean, you look at, uh, look at Greg Williams. I mean, for the longest time with a lot of his stuff, like he was a, this guy that's a head coach at DC. I mean, I've, I've, I've brought it up with you guys before, but the guy doesn't stay anywhere for longer than maybe two years. You know, he wears out his welcome very quickly because he's so, you know, uh, not controvert. Well, I mean, again, the bounty gate thing was obviously controversial, but a guy that's very high strung and very much, uh, uh, a take note, you know, take no prisoners type of attitude as a coach and he gets a lot out of his players, but I think it wears them down and the message can tire if they don't have success. Right. It's fleeting. He's not, he's not out there coaching Marines. He's coaching, you know, millionaire athletes. You have exactly. to uh, sort of evaluate each guy's personality separately. So that's mm-hmm. kind of where I'm at. On the so track. let's go from one thing that is pretty ridiculous to talk about to another one involving judge. And it's, uh, something again, I talked to Campy about, and immediately he was just like, I don't understand why we're talking about this. And so it's no names on the back of the practice jerseys. He went as far to say, I don't even need numbers on practice jerseys. I want to get to know my players, which is kind of a stand up thing. New coach, I think any coach in the NFL knows everybody on their staff. You got to handle a depth chart. But the point is, people think it's all like, it's just cookie cutter, you know, just saying these things because you don't think it's actually anything you just think it's like an extra you get what i'm saying like you said it could seem like a facade but i don't know i feel like he's legitimate who the hell cares if there's numbers or names on the back of jerseys don't you just care what the product is on the field i mean it's gonna be annoying for the guys breaking the film down when like <laughs> trying to chart plays and grade oh that's real that is real yeah. oh that would suck yep yeah I, again kind of a little bit of like a cliche maneuver it's all about the team the name on your back of your jersey doesn't matter etc whatever that stuff's all cool and all I mean I, I don't know you know coach Zemitis who we worked with loved when Penn State got to put the names on the jerseys he talked about that and nauseam it kind of I don't know I, I don't think it needs to be all about the team or all about yourself you need to be constantly making yourself better and at the same time that's making the team better Urban Meyer talks about that a lot you know it, it can't be a, a singular focus on one or for all it's like sort of a the old capitalism versus communism, you know, argument. It's gotta, you got to have the team in mind when you're making yourself better and vice versa. And I, I feel like being on both ends of the spectrum is kind of sending mixed signals. Random question. Did they go back? Because I know Bill O'Brien did that. That was after the whole uh, uh, issue with Penn State. But did they revert back to no names, Penn State? I feel like they did have no names last year. Yeah, I think they. I think it was a limited thing, and then when he left, they they brought back the no names. But that was it. Was very interesting to see that. Uh, I, again, it, it's something that seems so 
superfluous and, and, and so insignificant. Um, and I think I fall kind of into what you were talking about, Rod, uh, to bring up the topic of just it being like a, a not even a distraction, but just a, you know, like, like a facade, like, like mm -hmm. something that's just meant to stir up the, the critics and everything. Um, in a way, I think that, uh, it could be just a, a method for judge to keep the, you know, the spotlight on him and maybe take it away from some of his players. Uh, I mean, you've seen coaches do that in the past, just try to take the brunt of the spotlight. And, you know, like you said, giants are a young team and maybe he thinks that, you know, yeah, keep, keep coming after me, whatever. And, uh, you know, cause that's the New York media is going to do that no matter who you are. Uh, and maybe just to keep it on that him and, and take some pressure off of, you know, Daniel Jones, take some pressure off of Saquon, take some pressure off those guys that are already shoved in the spotlight plenty. I feel like we're wait it's almost like he he's not 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 that we're wasting time talking about it, but he's kind of wasting time. It's not that hard that you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Mm -hmm. I don't think the Giants had this like egregiously fractured culture where they've been like not giving any effort the last few years. They're a young team. They're coming along. Last year, there were questions about zero effort <laughs> being made. I'm just saying, but, there, it was pathetic I, at I one point. I thought that changed when certain guys got shown the door. Well, know? when certain guys got shown the door, and I think maybe to Judge's point, maybe he's just trying to cut all the bullshit, not wait two years like Shermer, and if people are going to get shown the door, let's try to do it ASAP. I get it, but that's going to happen organically if you're just mm -hmm. a genuinely strong, good coach and a great leader. Like I, I think this stuff is a little bit gimmicky, to be honest with you. And I, I would like to hire to begin with, so I'm going to be biased, I guess. Uh, so we'll see what happens. Ultimately, man, it really does just come down, just comes down to if they're successful, it, it's a moot point. Yeah. You know, look at, uh, you know, Sean McDermott in Buffalo. The guy just got a huge extension. Uh, and almost immediately, he took a team that was very much uh, punching above its weight and managed to get it to the playoffs fairly quickly. I mean, shockingly, quite shockingly. A lot of things had to happen, some miracles, but did now they made the playoffs two of the last three years when they hadn't made the playoffs in, what, the past 20 or, or damn near close. So it, it's if they're successful, no one's going to care. You know, maybe some players will, you know, leave and, and maybe they'll get rid of them. But if there's success, Judge cures all the haters – but if there isn't, it's going gonna, it's gonna to blow up fairly quickly. No, absolutely. Like, I can see why you're not a fan of Judge because for these reasons, you could really sit on other side, you know, either side of the fence of this. You could either think this is a little too much and it's a little too showy, and other people could just be like, oh, my God, he's saying everything right. All this shit is like writing home these points that I feel like a losing organization needs. And I kind of – I teeter on both. You know, I can read between the lines on it a little bit. But at the same point – I feel like this guy's legitimate. I think he kind of believes actually in what he's teaching. Again, I think if it's successful, we're not going to question it as much to your point, Campy. But, you know, it's really – it's been a wait and see for me. I like the hire just because he says all the right things. But I think come season time, you're going to have to realize, well, is he saying the right things and it actually fucking matters? Or is he just saying the right things and there's zero results for it? I just feel like it's super easy to say the right thing. Like, obviously, you're going to do that. If you, if Ask you, Adam Gase how easy it is to say the right thing. What about Sean McDermott? He's created an incredibly strong family in Buffalo. Those guys will die for him. I've seen tons of locker room and, and you know, team interactions. And you could just tell that 
they're one for all or for one that team. They are bought in hook, line, and sinker, and they have been for some time there, even before they really started seeing the success. So I think in New York, we've been a little bit too results-oriented, and I think the process has been poor. The process is also poor when you don't commit to a rebuild. No one wants to commit to rebuilds in big cities, but you have to because you can't spend money and cover up the holes. It's a little scary to dismiss the whole New England assistant thing. I, I mean, I get that's kind of like a – I don't want to say cliche at this point, but, I mean, at the end of the day, eight out of ten times you're going to be wrong if you hire a New England assistant. I mean – so, so you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> so you're saying there's a chance. It's really more like 99 out of 100 so far. But. And there's a 1% chance that he turns into Bill O'Brien, and that would be something I did not sign up for. Well, I mean, he, <laughs> 1%, he already, not 1%. You know, he, already, he already traded Odell. I mean, they couldn't trade it really anybody of that magnitude. They, right, well, they got a lot Hopkins. better of a haul than whatever the fuck the Texans got for DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah, that's still ridiculous. At least we got a first round pick. But you're also, but Bill O'Brien is one of the most tenured coaches in the league now, believe it or not. And every fantasy genius hates Bill O'Brien. Every new NFL fan thinks he's like the laughing stock in the league. I'll tell you what, he's actually a talented coach and he wins every single year they win football games. Sure. I get it. I'm one of the only people that ever will defend Bill O'Brien. And it's kind of even hard for me to do because. He does make some outrageous in-game decisions, and sometimes the, the game plan can be in question. But he's, he's built a nice little culture in Houston. They've won a lot of football games. And let, let, it not be, let it not be overlooked. Again, there is a difference between coach and general manager, and he's got both. And so you can be a good coach and be a terrible general, general manager. I mean, and, and Belly, you're the first one to bring up actually Belichick and just his drafting. Yeah. Totally agree. He, he he sort of took over the reins at GM there in kind of weird circumstances, and that's not his forte. Right. Uh, but I think he's a little bit more talented of a football coach than people give him credit for. Not a game manager. That's different. But the other 70%, 80% of coaching, I think he does an okay job. You saying that you're one of the only people who to defend Bill O'Brien makes me feel a lot better that you're on the other side of the fence on the Joe Judge thing. <laughs> But let's go from one <laughs> shitty organization to another, and let's talk about the New York Jets, okay? Oh, God. And, Campy, we're going to start with you. I didn't really have a lot of questions uh, about them, to be honest. I even went to the Twitter page, looked at some videos. I was like, can I see anything to even talk about? Didn't really find much. Darnold threw a long pass to Le'Veon Bell. That's all you need to know. I did, yeah, I did so, see that one. So, Super Bowl, here we come. Who do you think needs to have the biggest year on this team? I was going to ask fantasy-related questions, and we can get to that. But just in general, because th- this could be the same person, but offense, defense, who needs to have a big year if you guys are even going to remain competitive? Uh, can I just say a group? O-line. Yeah, that's all I was, I was going to say, the offensive line, honestly. Makai uh, uh, Becton, uh, I, I, the pressure will be on him. Uh, he doesn't need to be a world beater. Uh, I think that the offensive line needs to take strides in the right direction in order for this to even look like uh, the team's going in the right direction in any way, shape, or form. Like if Joe Douglas, he took these shots, you know, he drafts Becton, he gets McGovern in, in the short-term deal for the center, you know, they just cut Brian Winters and then the Bills picked him up. And he was a solid, you know, he's a solid contributor, not a world beater by any stretch, uh, but you know, he'll help out Buffalo because uh, they needed some help at guard. Um, 
but the offensive line needs to take some type of progression in, you know, the positive. If there isn't, you're going to see, well, I mean, again, this could, they could take, uh, you know, positive steps and still be terrible, but, and they probably will be, but uh, they need to have some type of significant improvement to keep Darnold upright, to help out their run game, which was, I think, the second worst in the league, if not the worst, uh, just by yards per carry. So if they don't do that, you're going to see a very, very, very bad football team. Uh, and we might see it either way, but I really want to see the offensive line make some type of progression. It's simple. I mean, they haven't won the line of scrimmage in a very long time. And in the NFL, if you have second and 11 every time versus second and six, barring having like a Patrick Mahomes or, a, you know, an all pro freak athlete quarterback, you just can't win. It's over. It's a wrap. So I think if the Jets can gain three and a half to four yards on first down, they can have a good season. If they're under two, bad season. I know that's pretty obvious, but it's been such a glaring problem. They've been non-competitive at the offensive line position for a long time. And I think a lot of that is because it wasn't a priority uh, with pass management. And, you know, you can only do so much with the athletes you have and the players that you have. And now that Douglas has invested, you know, in that, not, I don't think to the greatest degree, but he's done something. Adding a guy, you know, 10th, excuse me, ninth overall uh, is big, you know, getting a guy, you know, one of the best prospects that, you know, on the board and getting an offensive lineman and then getting some type of free agent uh, acquisitions to assist and just getting some bodies, you know, they had some of the worst offensive linemen in the past five years. And you saw it. It was apparent. People that don't watch football know that if you snap the ball over the quarterback's head, it's a bad thing. And that happened more with the Jets than any other team. And it's crazy to say that because I've said it before on this on this pod. But, yeah, you don't see that every day. And what happens multiple times in a season to a rookie quarterback at the time, man, talk about taking the guys, you know, just – just taking all of his confidence away or even the ability to have, be comfortable in the pocket. So if the offensive line takes strides, Darnold will take strides. Whoever is the, you know, the receivers doesn't matter, but Darnold best way to be, make Darnold a better quarterback is to have a supporting cast in front of him. I was just watching a video of Joe Burrow. Uh, it leaked. It's him running away from like six defensive ends and linemen like that break through the line. It's like in practice, you don't see him. There's like a wall blocking it from reporters and like he's all the way on the left side being chased. And all I could think about was, yeah, the Bengals could be good, but they now have no offensive line. And that's the thing. You got to protect these young quarterbacks and Darnold really needs protection because last year was a lot of that he was running for his life he made plays for the most part while running for his life which is right. you know a credit to him but how are you going to know what you have if the guy can't even get fucking settled in yeah. now he's a very young quarterback still i mean he's he's younger than joe burrow that's the thing like that's a crazy thing to think about okay the guy's got you know two two years as a as a pro on him now uh, again the mono missing all that whatever but still over 20 games of experience well over 20 games and you need to start giving him guys to protect him the guy he had 
I believe when I was looking up the stats, he was you know, hit one of uh, more often or, or one of the most hit quarterbacks in the league the past few years. You know, the guy has taken, has been assaulted uh, numerous times in that backfield. Thankfully he's athletic. You know, he's been able to at least get out of the pocket and, and use his legs every now and again. But, you know, the best way to help him, yes, you want receivers. Yes, you want the sexy pit, you know, the sexy fantasy things. But offensive linemen, that's the biggest thing that the Jets need uh, to improve this year by far. And hopefully with the steps that Joe Douglas took, you know, they do take steps in the right direction. Slightly off topic, but you did mention Joe Burrow and the Bengals offensive line. I actually think they're going in the right direction. Um, they get Jonah Williams back this year, who was their first-round pick last season, didn't play it down. He should be a stalwart at tackle. And the kid that they drafted late this year, Hakeem Adenajai from Kansas, I think can be a starting tackle in this league very soon. I, I think they made some savvy moves there, and uh, they're going to play that LSU system, which is sort of O-line friendly. Um, I think Cincinnati is going to get get rolling quicker than some people think. I believe that. No, from the video itself, it's just – I'm sure he was even probably in there with some rookies. I know it's training camp, and you can only take that with a grain of salt. But the point was, it was a very Sam Darnold-esque play. The guy was rolling to the left, but it wasn't much of a roll. It was more of him running for his <laughs> life. So, uh, hilarious nonetheless. All right, let's go over to – Speaking of LSU, college football. And let's talk a little bit about just everything that's going on. Um, most recently, and again, another topic we kind of touched on before we got on, 2020 is officially petition culture. Um, as Justin Fields made it official, he started a petition trying to get the Big Ten to play football this season. Maybe just Ohio State ends up getting football to be uh, approved when this is all said and done just so they they can compete for a national championship. My point being with all these rulings coming out and college football, maybe happening and not happening. What's the one team that's still standing there. That's going to benefit the most out of all of this. Is it just going to be Clemson? Who's a favorite to win it? Or is it really just the sec despite them having the hardest conference to get through, to get to a national championship? Uh, none of them. None of them are going to benefit from this in my, in my opinion. The only thing that makes the most sense and to do is to postpone till spring and bring everybody with them. I don't understand. I understand the passion of college athletes. They want to play. Absolutely. I, you know, again, I did it not at D1, D3. Still, you want to play games. You want to be in there with your brothers. You want to get going and be, you know, beat other teams, beat your rivals, do all of that. But it, this is not a normal time, and it would make sense if everyone just collectively, if the NCAA, whoever, just took responsibility and said, look, this is what we're going to do, guys. We're going to push it to spring. You already don't and you won't play championship. You will not play playoffs this year in the fall. They already said that. So what are we trying to do here forcing – or taking this initiative to have a season when you don't even have all the power five. You have three out of the five right now. Just move it to spring. That doesn't mean you have to send all the football players home. Keep them there. Continue to train with them. Continue to have them lift. Continue to, you know, to have them work with film, to work with the coaches. You don't have to send them home. You can keep them on campus. 
it's just something that everything right now is like, oh, we got to do it. We got to do it. We got to do it. No, you can take time to make a decision and have a plan in place. Very rarely do things that you put together at the last minute or you're forcing to happen go well. Usually it blows up in your face. So take the time that you need as an organization, as universities, and just push it to spring. It's already going to be an abbreviated season in the fall. You don't need to send the kids home. You can keep them there if they're that, you know, scared of being home away from their teams and they, you know, they're safer on campus as they've been claiming and everything like that. Fine. Keep them there. There, you have the facilities. You're all power five. They have millions of dollars that they've devoted to these facilities again, because of the football programs and the success of the athletics, but, and donors, but there's no reason, none at all for them to just shoehorn this season in the fall and, you know, go for go for broke when you're not even going to have all the teams. You're not going to have playoffs to begin with. Just push it. You're not going to have fans there. So why? Why bother? So uh, I, I definitely agree with pretty much every single thing you said there, Campy. And I'll give the kids a pass because I understand that if you're wrapped up that closely within a football community, you become now blind to the rest of the world. And I felt like that at Susquehanna just when I was coaching. Right. There could have been a nuclear war going on outside of Susquehanna football, and I really would have been kind of tone deaf to it. Um, but guys like Ryan Day and leaders within the Big Ten, I think they're coming across incredibly tone deaf and shallow and not understanding that this is a, a global crisis. Like, this is an opportunity to teach your young men that life isn't fair. We're going to keep fucking getting better. I mean, we don't, we don't have this inherent right to play football regardless of what else is happening on planet earth. Like, it, I mean, the controversy here really is whether or not is, is football safe or not to go forward with. And none of us seem to really have a good answer for that. Right. And no one really knows what's going on to be honest with you. But if enough people in leadership positions think it's not really a great idea to be playing, you kind of have to take your medicine and continue to get better off the field and in your personal life and continue training like Campy said and instead of whining about it like that I, I think it's I'm surprised honestly about how some of these leaders and coaches have reacted as if it's like something being taken away from them for no reason like we all have had have had to make tremendous sacrifices during this pandemic and a lot of us are not sure whether or not they're warranted but I mean that's sort of the way of the world right now and I think college football needs to sort of realize its place. Do you think that the coaches, especially someone like Ryan Day, is really worried about it just for the sense that a lot of his top guys are going to get drafted in the spring? And maybe he's worried that these athletes aren't going to play come a spring season. That's the one thing that I see why most of these big conferences don't want to push it to spring. That just seems petty to me, though. I mean, mm. yeah, sure. But th there's a way bigger issue at hand here. And I don't understand yeah. – it's not like Ohio State's not going to be able to recruit five-star studs forever, no matter what happens. Absolutely. Their program is not in shambles if they lose a season. Uh, yeah. But to the same point, I think that's why a guy like Justin Fields is pet petitioning to this because he's probably is blind to, you know, the outside world right now. And to his thinking is that 
this is my last shot. I'm going to the league. I want to improve my stock or whatever it may be. He's probably not going to play the spring. And of course he's just thinking, let me get one more season out of it. I get it for a 20 year old kid, but at that point, the head coach needs to step in and provide some leadership. And when they see the the leaders are still or think that this is a BS ruling, obviously the team is going to follow. And again, I personally am not sure what they should have done, but once the decision was made, I think it's very immature and selfish to, uh, to question it. That's the first thing I do wonder about is, is the head coaches just for a number of those things. And I don't think the majority of them are thinking this way, but I do uh, question some of their motives uh, when they have money on the line, when they have their jobs on the line um, in some of these areas with these high profile schools. Um, Again, uh, but like you said, Pat, uh, you know, Ohio State, yeah, isn't going nowhere in terms of, you know, prospects and getting individuals that will be possibly NFL draftees, you know, in the near future. And to to your point, Rod, with the, you know, Justin Fields is and so on with the, with the film. Well, the one thing to help them out is the fact that nobody up until that point, would have film for this season. So it's not like they'd be going to the draft completely blind because they're still going to have, you know, the actual combine. You can still put together and do your, your pro days. You'll be able to do all that, but that's in the spring. It's just something that it does not warrant the risk because what happens when you do this and then you have a COVID outbreak like they've had already in certain schools and then you have it during the season and it's not professional sports. So you're dealing with kids that aren't being compensated. Then there's an outbreak and God forbid, you know, you have an offensive lineman or a D lineman and they have some type of pre-existing condition and they die from it. What then is it worth it at that point? No, not saying it's going to, I'm not saying it's, it's going to be the majority of the kids. It's going to be, the, but again, there's because there are larger individuals, technically the CDC, everything, they fall into that idea of having an increased risk. So why not push it? They just came out, which is great. Yale just came out with the, the swab testing from the NBA playoffs. So something good came from sports and working with, you know, one of the best universities in the world and that's excellent. That's a huge thing. Testing is a huge thing. But until you have it, you know, at an extended rate or, you know, a vast amount of it, and you have the ability to guarantee that there will not be an issue, I say give them more time. It, it just doesn't make sense to – it just seems so – just so short-sighted. And I understand that we're, it's August, you know, camp and everything, and, and football's supposed to start, and ah, everyone wants to watch football because everyone's been cooped up and, and doing all this stuff. And I think it's a lot of people just putting, uh, sadly, inconvenience seems to outweigh uh, doing the right thing. Uh, and doing the right thing would be pushing it. It doesn't make for a great uh, podcast dialogue when both people agree. Like, usually you want to have yeah. a, a, a in sort of a contrarian take, but I just think it's so obvious. I agree with you, Campy. I mean, we need time. The biggest issue is that we don't understand enough yet about the disease. So it makes more sense 
to push it off the season as long as we can. And maybe something good will happen in the next four right. months and we'll be able to play and let's get rocking. Right. Like, I understand it's an inconvenience, like you said, but at some point there has to be a level of sacrifice here. And uh, I think it would be tragic for a few conferences to play football this year. Come on. What, what, kind, what is that? It's a bastardization of the sport to begin with. You, if you want to just have three conferences and you pick, you know, you, 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 you cherry pick Ohio state and whatever, but it's not the same thing. And nobody on planet earth would rather there be a college football season than me every single Saturday from, you know, 11 a.m. till 2 in the morning. I watch the second half of the Hawaii game every week, okay? I watch every game. And uh, so I'm going to miss that, but I understand there's, you know, bigger things at play here. The good news is, from what I heard, what they're thinking is, though, if they move it to spring, don't move it to spring. Either way, if people do elect to not play the spring season, they're going to extend a senior bowl week or whatever, and they're going to – do like a bubble for that and or the combine. So they're going to extend both. So this way, if people don't have a senior season tape or the last year or whatever they want to do, their their draft year, they could uh, get a little more scouting than we're used to, which I guess could be cool, you know, more combine. I don't know what else you'd really be able to do at the combine, but I guess you could get like one-on-one drills or whatnot. So. Well- and the, and the other thing to consider too is it's not a complete loss for these programs if they decided to push. These programs have the the best strength and conditioning coaches probably in the world. And you can do a lot in four months for these athletes. If they take their medicine and they do what they need to in terms of just listening to the coaches, these guys can grow exponentially. So it's not like they can, you know, it's, it's a complete wash or, or that they're going to sit on their ass for four months. It's a matter of just, just patience is key here and they can get better. It's honestly a, it's an opportunity to create some separation amongst Absolutely. your Absolutely. Because a lot of teams and individuals are not going to do it the right way. So this is just another chance for me to establish some separation between my inferior opponents. That's the mindset I would try to be in if I was a college athlete right now or a college coach. I know a bunch of high schools in New Jersey that have kind of adopted that mindset. My friend coaches at Seton Hall Prep, and that's sort of been their message. Like, it sucks. It's a lot of adversity, but it's an opportunity for us to separate and we're going to do things the right way when other people or teams may be sulking. So absolutely, there can be something taken from this positive. For sure. I agree. I think you already see it uh, at the NFL level too. I think these guys were lifting some of them. And I think you see the growth in a lot of these younger players, at least hitting the weight, you know, the weight room Uh, for a giant fan, Daniel Jones added eight pounds of muscle. Did he do all of it in the last four months? Probably not, but I know he definitely sculpted himself, and I did see him in the weight room. So they're doing something. I mean, that's at the pros. So if a pro player can transition in, I think a program at a college level with younger kids can probably really form and mold kids into a, into a way to benefit the program. Well, you know, even for college football, those, those tools are readily at their disposal. They don't have to get a private, you know, a, a, a private trainer or whatever. They're there already. So they can do all those things. And even if it was a matter of, you know, okay, they can't be in the same weight room or what have you, or it can only be a limited amount, they can schedule and manipulate things to their benefit. It's all really, it's, the world is their oyster there. So that's why, again, these individuals, you know, Trevor Lawrence saying that, you know, the, the kids are, you know, they're all less safe if they go home. Look, 
I'm not going to deny that that might be the case. Well, here's the thing. Keep them at the school. Like I said, like I said before, keep them at the school. They're already there. Keep them there. Have them do their virtual classes or go to class and have them stay together as a team. It's not difficult to do that. And that's a bubble. That's a bubble. If you keep them at the school, it's keeping them in a bubble and keeping them with adults, keeping them with individuals that are, you know, able to be influence, uh, influence them in the positive. Now, if they go out and they're going to parties like we saw at UNC and whatnot, what have you, and now there's major outbreaks, then that's an issue. But it's something to consider. It's just it makes more sense uh, for me to just push it. And, I, and obviously, Pat, you know, we're on the same wavelength with that. So we'll go from one bubble to another. And this is exciting stuff for you, especially. I think for the city of New York, too. I don't even know what I'm excited for yet. I can't wait for you to tell me who the Rangers are going to draft with the number one overall pick. And do I need to expect any surprises? Who am I rooting for? Do I need to expect surprises? Or is there just an outright 1-1 here? Well, let's, let's, uh, let's just talk playoffs to begin with. Um, I wish that NHL playoffs could be in a bubble for the foreseeable future forever. The fact that I can, you know, as a teacher, it's nice. I can literally throw on a game at noon and watch hockey until I go to bed at like midnight, you know, and even later because of the fact that they're in the bubbles and there's no, you know, you don't have to be irritated by scheduling or, you know, oh, every game's at nine o'clock tonight because it's West Coast or 10 o'clock because it's West Coast and there's only one Eastern Conference game and that's on at seven and I got to do this at 12 o'clock, three o'clock, 530, 6.30 or whatever, 7.30. It has been awesome. And the games have been great. You know, the there's been no lack of intensity. There's been no lack of uh, excitement with these games. They literally last week had had the fourth longest game ever in the history of the NHL watching that Blue Jackets lightning game from three o'clock in the afternoon till 915, I think that evening. So it was a little over six hours. Uh, and I, remember I was watching that with my brother and my dad. I'm going to be doing that later on again. Uh, we're going to watch the Flyers Canadians game because that takes place at three o'clock. So it's it's great. It's great for the sport. Uh, in itself to get more publicity because you know just like anything uh, I think that um, you know the times they conflict so often and when you have more to see I think more people will tune in especially with obviously go everything going on in the world and, and in the U.S. so it's a great time to be a sports fan right now but they have done it the right way because they're in the bubble and they haven't had any COVID, you know, any positive COVID tests. They've had some weird things like Tuka Rast, the Bruins goalie, bounced uh, out of nowhere kind of to go be with his wife who's pregnant, um, which, again, you can't fault the guy for that. But it was kind of an unexpected thing. Um, and that's happened in other sports too. But it has been a pleasure to watch. Um, again, I, I – the Lightning have looked fantastic. The Avalanche have looked fantastic. Uh, a lot of cool stories. Um, and uh, it, it's, it's great to be, uh, to be a hockey fan. So the scheduling part of it, I think, is probably the best feature that you alluded to. 
Uh, kind of has that college basketball, like, you know, March Madness opening weekend vibe where you have the game slotted and you're really not missing much. And there's just like sort of that daily routine of, wow, this is great. We get, we have meaningful games from start to finish and I get to really, you know, sort through uh, one round at a time. I think the initial stages, same with the NBA, before the actual like playoff fields were finalized, I was not overly into it, mainly because I didn't have a team of rooting interest in either uh, in either sport going at that time. So I think for like a general fan, it was a little hard to get into it until the fields were set and like the brackets are out. And now we have real playoff format because now it's easier to follow. Like I know what's going on now, but uh, I think the bubbles have been worked out well for NHL and NBA. It seems like everything's going pretty well. I wish the MLB did something similar, to be honest with you. I do think that for hockey, it is the, the one sport. I shouldn't say the one sport, but it's, it's the most impacted for me as a viewer by having no fans. I think playoff hockey, part of the drama and tension is the crowd more than other sports. Like football, yes, but I'm so dialed in on the game and what's happening on the field. Like I'm not overly swayed by the crowd. Hockey, it's just cool, that tension in the building in, in big playoff games. Yeah, I, I can understand that. Uh... For me, uh, very much like football, I, I just get dialed into what they're doing. And I actually love being able to hear the interactions even for, even more with the mics on the ice and, and the, the, the chatter and, and all that. I, I dig that a lot. Um, but I, I can understand the ebbs and flows of hockey are um, amazing and momentum with fans and, and home ice and, and everything. But uh, it's been very positive uh, with everything they've done. Um, they've handled it very well, um, and it's been a treat. It truly has. Uh, the, to your point, Pat, with just the opening to the playoffs and what the NHL did with the qualifying rounds and then you know the top four teams in the East and West doing like a, ro- a round robin for seeding, I can understand how a, an individual that's not really – uh, tuned in to hockey could be confused by that because they did it differently than in the NBA, right? The NBA, they did what the last eight games of the regular season, Rob. Yeah. Right. Yep. And then they seeded and everything. So uh, they did it different ways. Uh, but it was, it worked out. I think, I think that's the best way that they could have come up with to increase the field of teams. Um, you know, instead of doing just the regular season games and doing those two bubbles. Uh, so it, 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 it worked out for the better. And now that the field has been developed and now they're, I mean, goodness, the Islanders could sweep the caps today. Uh, you know, they're already four games in and the playoffs started last Tuesday. Um, so a week and they're flying through it, which is great. Uh, and they'll probably be done I'm guessing mid uh, mid to late September they'll they'll have a, a cup champ crowned I would assume so um, it's been fantastic I've enjoyed every minute of it uh, and it it's been stellar. You're a diehard hockey fan, so right? I I think the hockey fan is a very devout fan base and group, so they're going to be into it no matter what. But I'm I'm a slightly still concerned about how much weight like this Stanley Cup run is going to hold with more of the fans that are on the fence. Like, is it really this, is this the real Stanley Cup or is this like the COVID Cup? Kind right. Of? Oh, I That's mean. my only concern. I don't, I feel like it's yeah. 
two and a half percent real right now. Right, right, right. It's close, but sure. it's not quite exactly the Stanley Cup. Maybe. I think, you know, playoff hockey's, uh, again, it's the playoffs for that is one of the most grueling experiences, I think, for, for an athlete. And uh, they're treating it like it's 100% the cup. So I, as a fan, I think that's all you can do is treat it as 100% of the cup. And the season's not going to start for the next season until December or whatnot. So it's, it's full go and it's, it's great. But Rod, to your point. All right. The rain, the Rangers are going to draft Alexi Lafreniere. Mm. He's from the Quebec major junior hockey league. Uh, he's a left winger. He uh, won the CHL player of the year, back to back years. He oh. was, that's Canadian hockey league. So that's junior hockey for you. Um, he, has been a number one pick since he was 16 years old because they draft in the junior hockey league uh, in juniors. So he was number one pick that at 16. He was the rookie of the year in that league, I believe, at 16, 17. Then he went in second year, he got CHL player of the year. Uh, third year, he winds up getting CHL player of the year again. He was uh, voted the MVP of the World Junior, uh, World junior Championships uh, this past spring. He played five games out of seven. He had 10 points. The dude's a beast. Uh, yeah, he played, he played for the same, uh, he played for the same team that Sidney Crosby did when he was in juniors. So they're, uh, uh, I think it's the Ramouski uh, Ramparts, I believe, um, in Quebec. And obviously really French, French Canadian, Alexi. It's like L A L E X I S and Lafarnier, you know, a lot of flair on it, but, uh, yeah, that that seems to be the, he's the consensus pick. This is pretty much if the NFL draft had the number one guy, you know, this is the number one guy. The, the everyone says it's going to be him, but this draft is very deep. Uh, there are a lot of impact players, so there's a bunch of rumors about maybe they'll trade it, maybe they'll do this, but uh, I don't think there's really much weight to that. They'll they'll field offers, and they'd have to be, you know, their socks would need to be blown off in order to do that. But this guy is. The only thing for the Rangers that sucks is it's not a center. A center would be a, a very big help for them, uh, but it's an, but it's a, he's a left winger, and uh, he'll be a guy that um, he's not Connor McDavid, he's not uh, Austin Matthews, but he's probably just like one B to those guys in potential. So he could be, you know, he'll be a in the very short term probably, you know, ideally a point a point per game type guy. Um, a lot of the pundits, a lot of the experts are thinking he's, you know, as a rookie, he's 60 to 65 points, which is pretty great. Um, and uh, as an NHL or, and he's, he's not a small guy. He's six one, he's one ninety three as a 18 year old. So he's not the typical hockey player when they, you know, they have, they're very tiny or very slight and they need to put on weight. Uh, he, he's already the size of a, of a man. So um, he's only going to get better in that as uh, that uh, aspect of it. So uh, very excited when the when that whole lottery thing came down because they don't do the lottery balls anymore. That was a new thing because the way it worked out. And again, the draft uh, they did two phases of it. Um, it'll never happen this way again. Uh, and for whatever reason, uh, one of the qualifying for the the uh, qualifying rounds. 
the card got picked for the first overall pick for them. And so any of those eight teams that got knocked out of the qualifiers had the chance to win the drawing for the first overall pick. So last Monday I'm, I'm watching and the video on YouTube is there now. It's, it's hilarious to watch. And I'm, I was looking forward to this all day long, all weekend long, everything like that after the Rangers got knocked out uh, fairly quickly, unfortunately. But uh, knowing the potential of this guy and what it would do for the Rangers is huge in terms of just building their prospects and their potential for uh, a dominant team in the near, very near future. Uh, if they got that number one pick, it would be unbelievable. And so this whole thing, the process of it was hilarious. So they had the, uh, uh, I don't remember the reporter's name, but she was like the play-by-play of the whole entire lottery process. They bring out the uh, individual who's carrying a suitcase of the lottery balls. It's it's sealed and everything. They've all been put in there. They have the logos of the teams. So he's over there. She's doing this play-by-play of, well, now he's going to unseal the suitcase. Ah, and here are all the ping-pong balls, and here are the logos. And this freaking thing was so just nauseating in the sense of nervousness because every Gary Bettman, obviously the, uh, the GM of the NHL is right there over by the side. And this guy, this jackass is taking every single ping pong ball. And before he puts it in the shoot, he's hanging it over by the camera and the, the woman's going through the play by play of like, Oh, when they picked the last, uh, the first overall pick or the history of this and whatever. And then they go, Oh, Mr. Bettman, is that the logo of the Florida Panthers? And he's like, yes, that is the logo of the Florida Panthers. Drop it in the shoot. And they did that for all eight teams. So that's excruciatingly long uh, in two, three minutes of that. And then they start up the freaking uh, ping pong shoot and everything and the things, and they're all bubbling about. And then it's talking and they're talking and they're talking during the entire time. And they're just like, please, for the love of God, if this comes up, Rangers, man, holy crap. And it's going and going and going. She won't shut up. And then finally they, they suck, you know, they suck the ball up and it turned around and there was like that very little sliver of Ranger red, blue. I swear to God, I had noises came out of me that I didn't think were possible. I scared the crap out of my wife. I scared the crap out of my dog. I'm jumping up and down like a jackass. So it it was pretty awesome. Uh, Didn't the team uh, rim out? Didn't the team rim out? Yes. The Leafs, I think, their ball got knocked by another, and then the Rangers somehow actually yes. came up in there. Uh, so it was it was a neat thing to experience uh, as a, as a Rangers fan, obviously, in just the circumstances. Um, and and now they go from last year they had the number two pick overall in Capacaco, and now they have the number one pick overall. So it, it certainly helps their rebound their rebuild. Uh, in terms of being competitive, they have a lot of interesting decisions to make in terms of restricted free agents. Um, I think they'll be, this will not be the same team in terms of roster for next year. Uh, you know, uh, Ryan Strom personally, I think should be traded. Uh, Anthony D'Angelo, I think they should field calls on him uh, or uh, give him a bridge deal. Uh, and then they have to figure out their goalie situation with Henrik Lundqvist and Alexander Yorgiev and Igor Shesterkin. Um, and Lundqvist has been there forever. He's very, uh, he's royalty. He's a future Hall of Famer. Um, but it's his last year of his contract. I would, I would like them to not buy him out for the last year of his contract. They already have enough people, and the cap's not going up next year. 
So I think the smart thing would be to trade Yorgiev and keep Hank for one more year, and they have other prospects in goalie that could be backups for the future. But, uh, yeah, that's my long-winded uh, excitement about the Rangers. So my apologies for taking the mic. I'll uh... – I'll buy a jersey. Just know after all of that, I'm going to buy a jersey. I'm all sorry. right, good. Good to know. If anyone is still listening, uh, text, text me that you're still listening, and we will send you an official NHL patch that you can put on your shirt. Yeah, the New York football pod NHL patch. Yes. That's like Craig Carton to Boomer all those years. Nobody cares about hockey. Uh, yeah. Well, well, he was talking hockey. So the that's people who do care about it really care about it. That's the well, you know, that, that tells you everything about you know, Carton because he was in prison, so uh, he's not exactly a high-quality person. Uh, <laughs> Come on, I love Craig. I love Craig. That's, that's not fair. I love Craig. He's about to be a free man, too. Well, Pat, we'll let you talk on the last note here before we go. I told you this was going to come. 3-0 count. Fernando Tatis hits a grand slam and has to apologize for it. Tell me on the levels of um, how this is ridiculously stupid is a situation and why is baseball caught up in 1920s unwritten rule bullshit? Yeah. The weird thing for me is that I just never knew this was an unwritten rule and I've followed baseball my whole life. And I, the first thing I did is I called the friend that, you know, played baseball at Seton hall. He was big East player of the year. He was drafted by the Seattle Mariners and he never heard of the rule. So it's not like it's that of a, and I'm sure Fernando Tatis didn't know about this unwritten rule either. Uh, the bigger issue for me was how he wasn't defended by his manager or teammates. Now, now they're saying he swung through a red light. If that's the case, that should get handled in closed doors in the locker room. You know, do not air your grievances in public as a team. And uh, I just think it's ridiculous. A sport that's so stat-driven, especially, you know, contractually. And winners and losers are determined by stats in Major League Baseball. We saw three huge comebacks in the ninth inning this weekend as well. Oakland was down five runs, six runs back-to-back nights and came back. It was only 10 to three. It wasn't like it's 25 to nothing. Um, And and that, even so, even if it was a a ridiculous blowout, why are you, when, what is like the line? If it's, is it, if it's a three, one pitch, are you allowed to hit it? Are you supposed to try to hit a ground ball with the shortstop? And I don't understand what you're supposed to do. The only time I've ever heard three O being mentioned ever. And I played high school. I played uh, baseball from a little kid all the way through high school, every single year of my life. You were either had a good enough eye to take three O and understand a strike zone, or, you know, that's probably going to be the best pitch you see and you get the green light to do it. So it's really more of a coach's confidence thing more than an unwritten rule. That's the only time I've ever really heard of it. Never have I heard, like, even there's 10 run rules. They didn't even hit the 10 run rule. And, and they're, calling, they're calling for fucking, you know, red lights on 3-0 counts with the bases loaded and a dynamic generational talent at the plate. I just don't see how a guy like that doesn't have a green light to begin with. And the fact that he took it, hit an opposite field grand slam on a line drive, and has to apologize when you literally have a team cheating to get to the World Series and have zero apologies for it. It's absolutely mind-blowing that you're going to make a guy who's not even 21 years old is going to be the face of the MLB at some point in time. Probably already is on the West Coast more than fucking Trout and Bellinger. And he's got to apologize for hitting an opposite field grand slam. Yeah, it just makes no sense. I mean, especially these contracts, obviously RBIs, OPS, home runs are important. That's a huge opportunity to – to, you know, first of all, to seal the game, you're up seven runs, 
you're probably like 98% win equity. Now you're 100%. So I just sealed the game, added four ribbies and a home run to the stat ledger, and I did something wrong against an MLB pitcher. He wasn't going against a, uh, you know, a charity case on the mound. It's Major League Baseball. And I just was shocked by the reaction by both managers. And uh, I also think hitting guys as retaliation is cowardly to just – you're going to throw at a, a, a stationary target that can't defend himself. All of a sudden that's like, okay. So unwritten rules say that's okay to do. But it's not okay to, to do your job and hit a ball hard on 3-0. Like, it was it was a great piece of hitting. It was a great piece of hitting. It's not like he fucking served up a fucking softball over the plate and he just pulled it to left. No, he went the other way with it. The hitting was one thing. The guy now leads the league with home runs. He leads the league in home runs now. It's what he does. How are you going to punish someone for doing, especially in a shortened season, doing for what he did? It doesn't make any sense to me. I, I was watching the game, actually. I, I had like four screens going last night, sweating a big fantasy baseball contest and uh i had the game on in the corner and i saw him hit the home run and i i never clicked in my mind like oh wow that was a what a what a scumbag thing to do <laughs> like i was like oh wow Tatis hit another one grand slam that game's over now uh so to have no reaction in real time that it was you know an absurd action i, I can't sit back and tell you now that it, you know, he violated some rule. Anyway, and he didn't bat flip. He didn't grab his fucking. No, he ran around crotch. the bases. He, he ran around the bases. No showing up anything. Second I mean, home run of the game. People, you know, people would kill for multi home run games. We had a bunch yesterday, too, speaking of baseball. A ton. Double, double dong is huge in baseball, man. That's the White Sox are beating the shit out of some team, too. Robert hit two home runs yesterday, but he's a young guy. No one said shit. So it's not just. The, the count shouldn't play that much of a factor. If you're mad about the score, play better. It's... Yeah, do you want to get the game moving at that point? I'm supposed to take two pitches now? and I, I don't get it. I, I really, that and you're a- right to the A's point. The A's literally came back on the road five, six runs of back-to-back nights. And, and at that point, it was like seven. Like, come on, dude. Like, like get real. It's the pros. Yep. They get paid to hit home runs. I don't understand how this is an issue. That's like, that's like in football. If uh, a team, you know, they're going in the fourth quarter and a team, a team's up by three touchdowns, and oh, let's not score anymore because you know, well, no, they could come back. The difference with baseball, to me, though, these other sports that have a clock, there are times where y- you don't need to run up the score because it's in your best interest to just keep the clock churning, and the game is over. In you know basketball, you're not going to be running fast, big freak threes up 30 like with two minutes to go. Same with football. In baseball, you have to get 20, 27 outs. No one is giving up at bats late in the game. This goes on your back of your baseball card on your resume. This is how you build your brand. Like you need to give 100% effort with every single at bat. You're not going to just like turn off the switch and per- intentionally ground out. I've never even heard of such a thing. So. Um, I think the fact that there's no time in baseball means there should be no, you know, unwritten rules about lead or running up the score. There is no running up the score. I'm pitching, you're hitting. It's one or the one or the other. They are trying to give it a time though, because they do have a, a pitch clock now. So <laughs> yeah. They are trying to get it quicker. So that's why that guy gave up a home run. Yeah. He was rushed. He was rushed. <laughs> he was under pressure. On the clock. 
All right, guys. Well, let's we're gonna wrap this up. We can talk when we get <laughs> off air. But yeah, thank you good. for uh coming on as always. Obviously, we'll do this again soon. That was a closing notes last time. When did we do it again? I think we made it two, three weeks. So maybe we just either make it two, three weeks every time or just start to cut down and we'll sure be weekly by the end of this. I'm all for it. Hey, this is always a pleasure. It's uh very cathartic and therapeutic. It's just enjoyable to get to talk sports. So, uh, thank you. Yeah. No question. Don't forget to text me to claim your free NHL patch. If you <laughs> Y'all can talk, talk smack about the NHL, but it's up and coming. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you again. No problem. That interview with Pat DiMartino and Bill Campy was brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? All right, guys, that's our show. Thank you again for listening. Big thanks to Pat and Bill for coming on as always. Those guys are always a great time and a great discussion. Hope you learned a lot from us. Hope you come back and listen. You can subscribe on all podcast platforms, Apple Music, Spotify, Stitcher, and, of course, the Believe website, BLEAV.com. You can follow us on Twitter at NYFootballPod, as well as myself, at Tino Rodriguez. Thank you guys for coming out as always. Be safe. Talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.